Well, as always, thank you so much to all of those who have helped with our worship service. Uh, for Kathy Eden, who was our liturgist this morning. Uh, for Bob Eden, who offered a beautiful special music for us. For our praise team, who leads our music together wonderfully. For Gary Brubaker, who puts all of those pieces together for us. Um, for our praise team, who will lead our worship in person um, and also for all of those who have volunteered uh, to serve as ushers and greeters, thank you. Um, we appreciate the ways that you serve and the ways that you offer your gifts and your talents and your time um, in service to Jesus Christ. Now this morning we are in our second week of this three-week series on joy. Um, you know, because it's it's been challenging, right? Um, and sometimes when it's been challenging all around us for so many reasons, it's really easy to fall into despair. It's easy to choose fear or cynicism and maybe even just hard to see joy. Does that mean that it's not there? What is joy? How do we experience it? So last week we talked about true joy. This morning we'll talk about obstacles to joy. And then we'll close with characteristics of joy. So would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, um, a few years ago, um, I got a random message from someone that I knew, but I hadn't talked with for, gosh, probably years. Um, and um, it started as like a reconnection, like, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? What's been happening in your life for like the last 324 years? You know, one of those, like, let's just reconnect. Um, and so, you know, as we shared a little bit about our life and how things were going and whatnot, um, then she said, you know, I, I just have to say something and I don't want to sound judgmental. And Okay, let's be honest. There are a few phrases in the in the English language that um, you know people will say like, "I don't mean to sound judgmental," and then they say something judgmental, or "No offense," and then they proceed to offend you, or you know those kinds of things. So um, she said, "I don't mean to sound judgmental," and I was like, "Great, what am, what is this judgment that's being passed?" Um, she said, "I don't mean to sound um, judgmental." but I think you enjoyed life too much. And I mean, I saw that come across and I was like, what does that mean? What does it mean to enjoy life too much? And so I asked, I said, oh, well, okay. Um, what do you mean by that? You know, let's just help me understand. Um, and she said, well, as a Christian, and especially as a pastor, you shouldn't be enjoying anything. And I thought, what? And then she continued and she said, your life should be a sacrifice and be, you should be solemn and serious all of the time. Okay. And I said, oh, okay. And she said, if you are not, you are denying Jesus Christ and you're living a false life. And I, I think I stared at that screen for like, I don't know, it felt like hours and that cursor is blinking at you like that. What are you going to say? What are you going to say? What are you going to say? 
I was just stunned and I, and I wasn't really sure how to respond. So um, I ultimately said something like, I don't think debating via social media or text is very helpful. And so I didn't want to engage in an argument, but I thought that we had different theologies. And um, I appreciated her faithfulness to Jesus Christ and that I didn't doubt my faithfulness to Jesus Christ either. And it was the end of the conversation. And I think she deleted and blocked me after that. Um, and it stuck with me. What does it mean as a Christian? As a Christian, as a pastor, as a person of faith, should we not enjoy anything in life? Well, what did God create things for, but for our enjoyment? Okay. Well, um, also several years ago, my mom and my sister and I um, went to a movie together. Um, and as we were waiting for the movie to start, um, we were sharing our popcorn and, you know, like musings on the things on the screen and life and whatnot. Um, and then all of a sudden, my sister kind of gets this wistful look on her face and she goes, do you ever wonder how many people take napkins and they don't use them? And my mom goes, oh my gosh, yes, I do. I wonder that all the time. And then they turned to me and they said, what do you wonder about? And then I got that wistful look and I said, well, I wonder if the napkins produced are negatively impacting our creation and our environment. Do they get recycled or are they made from trees that are not being replenished? And is that hurting our atmosphere? Were they napkins made in ethically conscious ways or was slave labor used to make them? What were the working conditions? And do the overuse of napkins mean that there's an infinite new loop of poor working conditions? And... And they both just looked at me. And then they looked at each other. And um, I think it was my mom said, I was just wondering about napkins. So, should Christians enjoy things? What does it mean to be faithful to Jesus Christ? Does it mean that we don't experience joy or delight? Does it mean that we need to be serious all the time? How do Christians deal with pleasure and with joy? Now, we could say we don't enjoy anything. And perhaps we think about napkins more in justice and slave labor. And sometimes napkins are just napkins. How do we live? How do we experience joy? Should we? I mean, these are good questions, right? So all of that leads, one of the things that that leads me to is to talk about guilty pleasures because we all have those things that we label as guilty pleasures. Maybe for you it's food or it's music or TV shows. Um, a guilty pleasure is usually something we'd be embarrassed if someone found out we'd enjoyed or maybe we've been made to feel like we should be embarrassed or guilty or ashamed if someone found out. Or maybe it's something that we know we really shouldn't enjoy, but do. So what I thought is that you could post in the comments below um, 
and tell us your guiltiest pleasure and go. Okay, you don't have to do that. Um, I mean, confession is good for the soul, but obviously they're called guilty pleasures for a reason uh, because we're not comfortable with them for, for some reason. Um, all right, let me tell you one of mine. Sometimes when I'm in the office by myself, I listen to Britney Spears at full volume and I sing along. Now, y'all are going to come into the office someday and catch me. And anyway, but is that something that I should feel guilty about? Because I'm enjoying it. And what does it mean to have a guilty pleasure? Should we feel guilty for enjoying things? Now, when things are at the expense of others and expense of, um, of someone else, I think that's when we should feel guilty. I mean, it's hard for me to enjoy a product when I know that there are business practices that hurt someone else. And when our pleasure or joy comes at the expense of hurting another human being, that should make us feel guilty. Guilty enough to stop and repent and change our pattern of behavior. Now, guilt, though, guilt shouldn't be an obstacle of joy. I mean, an obstacle is something that blocks our path or keeps us from experiencing joy. Guilt should be something that compels us to do differently so that we all might experience joy. Um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu says, we should not berate ourselves for our negative thoughts and emotions, that they are natural and unavoidable. They are only more intense by the glue of guilt and shame when we think we should not have them. So guilt shouldn't um, keep us from experiencing joy, but help us to invite others into, into the experiencing of joy. In um, the book, uh, in the book, the Book of Joy, the Dalai Lama and Bishop Desmond Tutu talk about lasting happiness in a changing world. And as a part of that, they talk about um, some of the obstacles of joy. These are some of the obstacles that they name. Fear. Stress. Anxiety. Frustration. Anger grief, despair, loneliness, envy, suffering, illness, fear of death. I mean, just as those were mentioned, maybe feelings of, oof, like just dread or something started to churn up inside of you. I mean, that's a pretty long list. And well, I mean, you can think about that at all, at any time during life, but think about it, especially in these last, in these last couple of years. Fear, stress, anxiety, frustration, anger, grief, despair, loneliness, envy, suffering, illness, fear of death, Goodness gracious, is it any wonder that at this very moment, it feels like there is a shortage of joy? 
And one of the ones, one of the obstacles to joy that they point out over and over is self-centeredness of thinking only about ourselves and not thinking about other people. Again, is it any wonder that at this very moment, given that list alone of obstacles of joy, that we are not feeling very joyful and it feels like there may be a shortage of joy at the moment? Now, in the midst of this conversation about joy, I think that it's also really important for us to talk about mental health because I think that there's a very large stigma in society about talking about mental health, about talking about or going into counseling or taking medication for our mental health. And there shouldn't be. Mental health is health. And sometimes you need, we need additional help to make us feel better. I mean, would you tell your general practitioner that, you know, I just don't think that I need to take my blood pressure medication anymore because what if people think I'm weak? Or would you tell your dentist, you know, I just don't think that I need to brush my teeth because people might wonder about my decision-making ability. We usually don't say things like that. And so we shouldn't say the same things about our mental health or mental health providers. It's really okay to accept some additional help through counseling and medication if you need it. Now, if you need referrals or you need someone to talk with, I'm here to help and I'd be happy to refer you or to have conversation with you because mental health is health and it's important for us to take care of ourselves. And sometimes that not taking care of ourselves also leads to an obstacle for us, for our joy, and even for life. Please take care of yourself. Now, in all of these obstacles of joy, fear, stress, anxiety, frustration, anger, grief, despair, loneliness, envy, suffering, illness, fear of death, self-centeredness. How do we overcome them? How do we get over them? How do we move past them? How, how does this happen? And I think that self-centeredness is probably one of the big ones. I think we need to stop focusing so much on ourselves and to focus on others not to compare our lives or our misfortunes to what one has or what another doesn't. But to think about someone else and how to help improve the world for the sake of everyone. Bishop Tutu says, you show your humanity by how you see yourself, not as apart from others, but your connection to others. And the Dalai Lama says it this way, we should recognize our shared humanity. We are a part of the same humanity. When humanity is happy, we will be happy. When humanity is peaceful, our own lives are peaceful. And Jesus says it this way, love your neighbor as you love yourself. How can we focus on others in the midst of these times? to think about others and not just about ourselves. 
Paul writes in this letter to the Philippians, to the church at Philippi. And this whole letter is about joy, it's about faithfulness, and it's also a very vulnerable letter from Paul. Paul has experienced some really tragic things throughout his life and ministry. There have been, again, persecutions that Paul has experienced. He has been in prison. He has been betrayed. He even has groups of people who follow behind him, telling people that he has just ministered to that Paul is a liar and that everything that he taught them is wrong. Paul has had some heartbreak for sure. And this letter from Paul, while again, beautiful and faithful and about being a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ, there's also really vulnerable points in here where Paul is wondering, should, should he continue both in ministry and in life? And in this part of the letter, he talks about our faith in Jesus Christ and how our faith in Jesus Christ that gives us hope. It's hope of resurrection. Resurrection which reminds us or should remind us of life, hope of life. It's a hope that comes facing the darkness. And how do you know that what hope is without having the sting of death or despair? We don't have resurrection without death. So how do you know what hope is without having the sting of death or despair? Hope comes from facing the darkness. Paul says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I have lost things. And I have gained Jesus Christ. Desmond Tutu says, to choose hope is to step firmly forward into the howling wind, bearing one's chest to the elements, knowing that in time the storm will pass. Hope requires faith. Hope is also nurtured in community and by relationship relationship with Jesus Christ and with one another, our shared humanity. For this sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Marie Kondo um, has a method of cleaning and organizing. That includes the question, does it spark joy? And the, um, it's called her Marie method. She says that your feelings are the standard for decision-making, specifically knowing what sparks joy. To determine this when tidying, the key is to pick up objects one at a time and then ask yourself quietly, does this spark joy? And pay attention to how your body responds. Joy is personal, and so everyone will experience it dif differently. Marie describes it as a little thrill, as if the cells in your body are slowly rising. Now, of course, this is talking about things, but what about like not things? What about experiences or people? Or what about anything? Does it spark joy? Or does it spark obstacles to joy?
Does it spark fear or stress, anxiety, frustration, anger, grief, despair, loneliness, envy, suffering, illness, fear of death, self-centeredness? Does this spark joy? And if it doesn't, can you let them go? Now we need to talk about darkness and light to experience joy. Bob Ross, the famous painter, um, when talking about painting in particular, he said, you know, dark on dark, you have nothing. Light on light, you have nothing. You need both to see. And I think that applies not just to painting, but also to life. The sadness helps us see the joy. Joy isn't devoid of sadness or even all of those obstacles. In fact, it includes us. There's a space for all of those things to be included. All of these, all of these things can be obstacles to joy. All of these can diminish our joy. And they can also help to strengthen our joy so that we know what joy is when we see it. God gives us this gift of joy and this gift of free will. We get to choose life or death. We get to choose hope or despair. We get to choose fear or belief. We get to choose obstacles to joy or joy. We get to choose, does this spark joy? May we be wise with our choices. May we choose humanity over and over again. May we choose hope. May we choose life. May we choose belief. May we choose joy. Amen.